as an industry we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance and their successes or failures, but there's a human side of the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows and everywhere in between. In this episode I'm joined by DS Choi, current producer at Nexon America, so join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by DS. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Fantastic. Good to hear. Uh, how are you going with this kind of crazy working from home situation? Oh, it's very interesting. I mean, uh, you can see my tape, like desk with all these yes. uh, gadgets and gizmos. And like I have two headsets of headphones, one for one <laughs> desktop and laptop. And I have my like candy snack in front of me. It's like, and I'm actually broadcasting all this to everyone whenever I'm doing a conference calls with anyone yeah. or or even play tests that we're doing for the car rider drift yeah like whenever i'm doing it I, and we're actually doing a voice test i'm like hey so what did you guys eat for lunch during those things on the call it's like it's really interesting time that we live in for sure yeah i'm sure we're all learning a lot from it um as, as you have as i have as a as a teacher primarily um it's been a very interesting time so um yeah. keeps everyone on their toes so this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to people from all throughout the games industry. They share their experiences, their stories. We learn a little bit about those careers and stories and ultimately what's led to the point that that person's currently at. Now, DS, before we get to your actual career and the, the things that you've accomplished so far, I'd like to rewind back a little bit earlier and maybe discuss some of your earliest gaming experiences that you recall. Uh, do you have any particular favourite games that you might have ever played or, or even recall what the first thing was that you played? Oh... Must have been Nintendo. <laughs> That's always a good like, starting point. Yeah, Nintendo Entertainment System, NES or SNES, right? Uh, Looney Tunes uh, Olympics was one of it. The oh, fantastic. was another. And like the golf game uh, was definitely really good too. And, I, I mean, those were like, and Mario Kart as well, actually. You know, yep. honestly, I loved playing a racing game, like kart, uh, kart racing game on a console like that and like yeah. i had my own cheats too like not exactly a, a hacking way but kind of like on this track if i go this way on a beach map it's not actually going to be much faster than other people that no one else really takes those I, I didn't find those optimal paths yeah exactly so that was like my probably childhood you know, growing up and playing most of those games and then yeah. of course you know pc boom uh, in the pc cafe boom happened in uh, yeah. korea and i was yeah. living through those so there was a lot more influence of online multiplayer games that I actually got to a chance to experience in my youth. Any particular favorites from that period? Probably uh, I'll choose StarCraft. And... Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm Korean, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I am aware that's a very, very big franchise uh, over yeah. in Korea. So. And Not half surprised to hear it. Yeah, and then, then Mobby Nogi as well. It's a Nexon, one of Nexon's games yep. that we published here. And just the fact that it was very pleasing and it was very, sorry, helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Yeah, so that was kind of an experience that I really liked as an RPG game. Uh, one of the first games I played on that, and I think that was really good for me. Yeah, fantastic. And certainly hearing about uh, some kart racing games is, is uh, kind of piques my interest given where this conversation is going to go shortly. Um, mm -hmm. It's fantastic to see how early that love started. 
was there a particular game at all or franchise or maybe it was a culmination of experiences that ultimately steered you towards getting into the creation of games yourself? I think it kind of started from just playing games and being interested in them and was definitely a starting point for me. And honestly, it, it was at the time when that when I joined uh, Nexon, and it was at the time when you know online games were getting a lot of boom. Like it was probably one of the biggest uh, industry that was actually growing so fast. And yeah. I think that was a time when Maple Story and Cartwrighter uh, were basically being so successful that it was called out as a uh, basically the country's game. Like everyone in the country was pretty much playing. The, the amount of accounts that was created based on social security numbers was almost matching close, very close to the a number of people who lived in the country. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I understood yeah. that was big. I didn't realize that big. That's that's really fascinating. Yeah, because kids definitely try to steal your parents' <laughs> social security <laughs> numbers. They create multiple accounts. If they get banned on the one on the other, they keep creating more. So it ends yeah, up, even if that. those people don't play, the, the account gets created, basically. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, that that clarifies that a little bit. That's, uh, <laughs> but still, still, they're incredibly impressive numbers. And again, like cycling back to StarCraft and those things before, the, I'd always heard how big uh, StarCraft in particular was, and this just adds that extra layer of context for me. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, how did you end up making your first steps? So obviously, you you began uh, with at Nexon there. How did you how did you first make those steps? How did that opportunity emerge to get, actually get involved in the creation? So. For me, I think the very starting point was basically because uh, uh, Nexon was looking to expand to United States at the time, and yep. or Western market uh, in general, like English and Europe and like all the other locations, including Australia, yep. were all like uh, new markets that Nexon wasn't reaching out to yet before, and that was moments when they were actually trying to hire people who can be uh, actually responding to these people in their uh, own languages and be able yeah. to also be understanding the cultures and everything like that. So I really kind of started as more like a game master GM uh, because the game was just barely starting, MapleStory. Yeah. Uh, and in, uh, I was in Korea and they were looking for people who can basically talk to the players and be uh, enforcing rules and laws of the game and policies. So I was hired to do that. That's a yeah, perfect opportunity for you. Yes. And you know, it, it's, it's a really interesting because Nexon as a company is so big. I mean, it's used to be really big too. It's humongous now, but back in the days, the team was so small to the point that I ended up doing like a little bit of everything. I, I did customer service support. I started doing a little bit of quest, crea uh, quest creations by scripting. And then I started doing some art uh, layering to create animations and imp implementing the maps into the games. Like, so basically every single part of the game that I could touch because there's not enough people that on the team ended up happening. And it was yeah, that, that's really fascinating. Yeah, it was a very fun experience for me. Because, yeah, on top of those ones that you just outlined there, and I, I mean, this this shows the diversity of different roles that you took on. On top of all those things you mentioned, I had listed QA, there was some design coordinating, data and project management as well. So it really highlights how diverse your skill set is and the various different experiences that you, you managed to get involved in at that early stage of your career. That's It's really fantastic. Yeah, and I think there was a, a definitely a good, great opportunity for me because, I mean, I already had a lot of high interest in Nexon games to begin with. As I said, yep. Mabinogi and Cartwrighter were like my, my cup of tea for sure <laughs> as I'm playing games. 
And then, you know, the Maple Story being one of the biggest titles that Nexon had at the time, being able to work on it was really a great chance. So it just then naturally grew to that direction. And when the company actually started actually coming out to uh, North America as a, and brand, creating their own branch office, I was able to also be coming here and actually yeah. uh, launching the new titles and stuff like that. and was able to actually launch Bobby Nogi myself as well. So there was obviously that period, yes, where you, uh, there was the move to the United States and you got involved with, and I've got a few things listed here, Project Nevermind, Hidden Variable Studios with Tick Tactics and, and Bagot. There's uh, there's Gameville as well with the Monster Fantasy and Dynasty Warlord titles. You got involved in quite a lot and very, in ultimately a very short space of time there before your kind of return. There was, I guess, this hiatus as we look at it maybe but, uh, with Nexon there. Um, but you got involved in quite a lot in the middle there. Were there any particular highlights from that period at all? I think everything was so fascinating to me, to be honest, as an experience, because I, I'm, I mean, Car Rider Drift, the, the project that I'm currently on, I know I'm kind of spoiling the beans here, that I guess oh, that's the, the thing that uh, is a free-to-play game that's on console and also PC and cross-platform, cross-play, cross-social social feature, which is basically what the latest technical trend and everyone really enjoy for, right? And I think the evolution of the games within the time that I've been in the industry for, as you can remember, it's kind of started from like PC as a, like its own market with free to play games being like one of the only things that really is successful compared to like console market that has all the paid games going out. And then, yeah. then there was a rise of Facebook and social games. And then there's also mobile games that was basically in the middle and between that had combination of those markets and of uh, free to play and paid games. And then there is uh, this coming back to oh console and all the markets all now being able to cross play and be free to play as well as like a, a, a latest trend that's combining all those things that previously happened before into one and yeah. happening. I think that's basically what I'm seeing as the industry trend in general. And all the previous experiences were me actually following to investigate more of why this is happening on those markets and following up with those things until to the point where it like, submerges to in one point like this right now, where I'm working on a game that actually is the end point of that. Yeah, it's it's really multi-layered what we're what we're seeing and experiencing these days with these these various different markets kind of converging and pulling apart from each other at various in various different ways. So you, you've really come in at a really fascinating time and you've gotten involved in lots of different sorts of games that are intermingling intermingling, I should say, with those different uh, models, I guess. And it's I, I can imagine it's been invaluable to you and your your experiences and your career path so far. Yeah, uh, and it's been fun for sure. Oh, fantastic! And then obviously there was this return to Nexon where you're now uh, where now you're working out of the United States at this particular point. And again, there's still interactions with Maple Story One and Two. There's there's Dirty Bomb. Uh, one thing that really kind of piqued uh, piqued my interest there. You're working on Lawbre uh, in a capacity with Lawbreakers there which I assume did you have a little bit to do with the the ever-enlightening uh, Cliff Blazinski along the way? Oh, that was a very enlightening experience for me, for sure. It was definitely an intriguing one, for sure. And I think that was there was a lot of things that I learned from the experience. Yeah. And honestly, it was actually a pretty like, big project that Nexon took on, on at the time. So I think uh, I'm, I was actually really honored to be on it as a, yeah. like a main producer for it so that's from the nexon side and i think that was really a lot learning out of it 
No, fantastic. I mean, uh, Cliff is not a small name in this game's business. So to be able to work alongside him in any capacity must have been invaluable. You must have learned an, an incredible amount. So uh, yeah, that, I mean, he's definitely a visionary. Like, he's that type yeah. of person who provides vision. Yeah, good. Uh, but then, and now leading to kind of our main focus today, there's there's Cart Rider Drift, which is the, mm. uh, I mean, it kind of caught me off guard when you uh, when you appeared on the Xbox stage. Was that last year? Now everything's such a blur with the the, the current <laughs> containment situation. But uh, last year, I think it was the 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 big XO event there to kind of unveil Cart Rider Drift and. Um, I was really quite fascinated by that, and then to hear about this history, and I guess myself being in in this as you as we discussed before, this Western market, whereas Cart Rider, along with a few other things, had been mostly uh, contained to the Korean market at that particular point. I was fascinated to learn about this incredible history of the franchise, and I, I'm I'm sitting there questioning, man, do I actually know this games industry all that? What, what where's this all come, where's this come from? How's this thing been going for 15 years without me? <laughs> understand or acknowledge it anyway, but uh, that must have been an incredible thrill to be able to get there on the Xbox stage and be able to present that to uh, a whole new market in a lot of ways and a lot of uh, people would, I guess, such as myself that were completely oblivious to the franchise at that particular point. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know this is more like I'm, I guess, coming from the personal angle of that part of the experience for me. Yeah, and then to me, like, it was really nerve-wracking for sure because i mean coming up on the stage even though like i know it was broadcasted online and probably a lot more people watched online than who yeah. was on the stage itself even then it was definitely like oh god this is happening this i'm actually on the stage this was ever the first time i ever wore any kind of makeup in my entire yeah. life it's like that was kind of a new experience for me for sure and all that through i think uh i've done similar things before where basically as a producer actually for Maple Story 2 went onto the stage to actually announce like new updates coming up and the game's actual official launch and everything. I was able to talk to the players directly. We had our own fan fest and stuff like that, where yeah. I've learned that uh, as of like latest years to be basically producer on the publishing side actually gets to represent the game and be able to talk, discuss with players directly and be the face of it and be also presenting and that was uh, that's kind of the new experience that i actually started picking up and was able to get into and yeah. actual 19 basically became the kind of pinnacle of that moment <laughs> kind of matching up to that and that's i mean that's fantastic to hear now focusing on cart rider a little bit more itself we'll we'll certainly cycle back to you and uh, and the, the personal experience again again shortly but uh focusing on the game itself a little bit uh how so obviously it's it's a coming out as a free-to-play game um, how do you, and you've obviously had a bit of experience with free-to-play models over the journey, how do you kind of get that balancing act right, especially when you're bringing this to many people, it's a new it's a new franchise, it's obviously not, but uh, bringing this new franchise to a lot of people and then trying to get that balancing act right. We obviously see so many games out there that don't necessarily quite get it right and it's not overly received well. Then there are other examples that works perfectly. How do you find and manage that that sweet spot? I think it's the matter of uh, how much stats are involved in pain. Yeah. Right? I think a uh, free-to-play model for me and the one that works the best is, especially for a competitive game, uh, how how free are you from people? Uh, is it going to be a skill a dictator for how the match goes, or is it how much money you spent? Yeah. Because uh, if uh, we can keep it to be a skill level thing 
and the game itself is really fun. And it's actually the more you've earned enough skills, the better that you actually have. Like the game is itself has its own depth. Then yep. I think we could, we get definitely a potential chance of a successful title that can be living long enough and also having a really good, great history of uh, basically esports leagues and stuff. Like yes. That. Right. And I think that's where uh, Carve Rider Drift really shines for me in, in that sense, because it is, I know this is an old saying that gets kind of tired for most people, but easy to learn, hard to master. No, no, that, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I know the game really looks easy and feels easy, but the most uh, actual hardcore uh, driving techniques that you can do, I played this game back in like when it launched and i was actually an avid player back then and yep. i'm playing it every day ever since i've been on the project and it's been more than almost close to a year now i'm still not able to execute a two three moves that i know pro players do it every single turn oh wow okay that, yeah, i mean and, that, comes, that says a lot yeah it's it's like i mean i'm currently apparently by the best player in the and the next in america office and if i go against the pro players i will be still a minute behind you know oh, and, wow. in a racing game in a minute behind is pretty much you're not even in a competition <laughs> yeah that's not even worth trying any longer yeah, okay fair enough wow yeah. that, that says a great deal about the the incredible level that these pro players are at are there yeah. When it comes to, I guess, the design and the the production of the game, are there any now that you are looking to bring it across to a Western market? Are there any um, changes to the way that you approach that design and and development that you need to factor in, given the different audience? I think the biggest part is the crossplay, cross platform. Like I think yep. that's definitely something that is new for this version of the game, this installment, because uh, previously it was a PC title and and it was basically. I mean, one of the biggest game in Asia, as you mentioned, like it has 15 years of history, but no one in the Western West side heard it, right? So yeah. I think that's uh, probably because a lot of things that the game evolved around was mainly on PC and UI and using the mouse and keyboard only. So what we're trying to change this is basically be ready for a console market, be ready for simpler UI, be ready for across uh, progression where you can actually pick up from one device and then be able to uh, continue on the other and yeah, also okay. be friends to each other and all that and then also be showing off your customization in uh, various different ways that we know is possible in latest technology where you can design your own wrapper for the, the actual cards and stuff like that and show that off and that's definitely the parts that we're uh, aiming at for making the change for this game fantastic how does it feel for you personally to be to be bringing this game out as we've spoken about to there's simply ui it's a different audience uh you're obviously bringing it to consoles which means that we're now instantly it becomes in the same conversation that we talk about the likes of we obviously spoke about mario kart before there's mario kart and there's there's crash and we've had other franchises kind of come and go like your modern nation races and those sorts of experiences over the journey how does it feel now to be bring for you to be bringing uh the kart rider franchise over to consoles a, a space that you've personally enjoyed uh experiencing various different kart riding uh, kart racing games over the journey and now you're kind of in some ways going head to head with them oh, i mean truly it's an, even an honor to even be compared to my record and like uh, the bandit uh, crash racing because we are really big fans of the franchises 
And uh, however, I don't think we're trying to compete directly with Nintendo yeah. in that sense, because uh, we're expanding the kart racing genre further with Carbon Rider Drift by catering new players interested in new style of play. And also, it's uh, like a speed mode is basically a super competitive mode with just drifts and boosters that we have perfected over the years and deep card plus uh, character customization that allows you to truly own your look on the game and expanding the franchise on entirely new market in Asia without co any console barriers or paywalls as it is free to play. Yeah. So I think there's enough differences that it distincts uh, as uh, not a direct competition in the first day. Yes. And I think uh, I do think the uniqueness of the speed nodes more so of you actually having the experience of it that would probably tell you that, that it is a different a different game in that sense because i feel like uh it is a lot more focused on skill well actually both require skills it's just different type of skills different skill set yeah so what have you been able to learn and take away from the the betas that we've had so far so obviously uh, players have had opportunities to get their hands on it in various different capacities so far and i'd imagine there's lots of feedback and lots of data collection that comes with that of course uh what have you been able to take from that you've been able to bring to development since then you know uh there's the response from previous beta were actually really positive and players who are already familiar with the franchise were excited to jump into Kart Rider Drift to play with their friends. And one of the even better players as in the office, I actually competed with these people and realized that they must have played the game continuously. I, I mean, I stopped playing after like a couple of years when it started and then I yeah. picked it back up lately and but these people been playing so i couldn't actually defeat some of them like i was like oh my god they're really good <laughs> like even though i've been playing uh probably a couple of months on the latest version they were still better than me so like i i could tell these were really fans <laughs> uh, that's that's fantastic to hear yeah so, and no sorry go on. oh yeah but and of course we actually had a lot of new players so i mean as you mentioned i didn't think a lot of people heard about the game but what I was surprised for was that there were a lot of people who actually remembered that the game, the original version of the game actually uh, was out for beta like a really short time, a long time ago, as well as uh, the Korean version. A lot of people actually played that and came to basically, uh, as a fan, came into our version, which was very intriguing. And of course, new players, they actually had a lot of encouragements and also a lot of good feedback especially the how drifting feels different from any games, any of the games they played, which oh, okay, is, right. yeah, it's kind of a unique identifier of the game because basically the drifting motions for this game, you shouldn't be holding the drift button all the way through your drifts, which I know most of the racing games with the controller would try to ask you doing that, like, you know, kind of like how handbrake is, right? Yeah. But uh, for this game, it's basically, it creates the moment where you're starting the drag. So if you're doing a 180 turn, maybe one third of the turn you put on the, uh, the drift button and the rest is just drag. So you got to let go. And yeah, what so this allows is the real key for the player. Yeah. And you know, it sounds like it's going to be a lot more difficult and it does take a little bit more time to get used to it. But what it allows you to do is actually by the depth of how long you press that button, you can do uh, like 30, 30 degree turns, 60 degree turns, 90 degree, 180, 360, 720. Because of the longer you press this, you can actually just spin round and round and right forever at the faster speed as in no other game is possible. 
I'm I'm excited to see how I in my own personal experience how I can kind of manage and balance that because I do have the the beta uh, code that was uh, provided to me to kind of try it out and um, I haven't actually had a chance to yet it's been a crazy week this week but um, now that you've you've almost laid down a challenge for me here to uh, to take it for a spin and see see what I can manage so I'm gonna see there's a challenge and see what I can do with it but uh, I, I'm fascinated to give it a go now yeah. As we cycle back to you and your career and we look to wind things down, is there anyone out there in particular that you've worked with or maybe you look at from afar that really inspires you and maybe the way you approach um, game creation or production uh, or any kind of aspect of your career? I think uh, Chong Su, uh, uh, our former uh, GM for Next in America, probably would be that person for me because I it's not only that I've actually had a lot of experience working with the person. He also was kind of my mentor in a lot of different ways. Oh, great. Yeah. And I, I think in all the years I've worked uh, in the industry, probably around half of the years uh, of those are actually was, was with him. So awesome. Uh, it it's, I mean, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people over over the journey for, for Dev Diary, and a lot of people have spoken about people they kind of look at from afar, but rarely have those people, at least to this point in time, had the opportunity to work alongside those people, those mentors or those idols in any way. So that must be fa- fantastic for you to have actually been able to work with and be mentored by mm-hmm. someone like that. So that's, that's great to hear. Have there been any particularly valuable lessons that you've picked up along the way, things that you've learned, maybe, maybe uh, been inspired by, but anything that you've really learned along the way that you've really taken with you and it's really helped guide your approach to game design over the journey? I think don't take down the challenge. Like, yep. Always, always go for it because I think challenges are always a great chance for you to improve yourself. And, you know, the harder it is, the uh, harsher it is to you, it's just growing pains. The heart is going to be probably giving you the better reward. I think that's what, I end up uh, seeing because every kind of experiences and that returns that I've got into definitely improved uh, how I would approach things and have better understanding of how things work. Well, yeah, well, you know, times too, so <laughs> that happens. And I think uh, in terms of uh, game design, I think uh, it is really important to know what player wants. And in order yeah. for me to know what player wants, I need to know the game enough but even if I know enough about the game, how it feels to the players is more important than how it is designed. Because yeah. I can design it perfectly in a way that I think is going to be the best thing ever. But then the moment different people play it, they might have a very different experience of it. So always listen to your players, I think would be all the, right, the right thing to be learned. Probably a good approach for everyone. So yeah, that, that's a very, very, very good one. They're fantastic. Great to hear. Um, Last kind of somewhat curly question. I'll be interested to see, given that your range of experiences so far, I'll be very, I'll be very curious to see how you answer this one. This is a big hypothetical. If you mm-hmm. could be credited for any game that has ever existed, so you could just retroactively add your name into the credits. Maybe it's a game that you really uh, have admired from afar, one that maybe you've enjoyed for many years. If there's any one game there that you've currently had nothing to do with, that you would just retroactively add your name into the credits in any capacity. Maybe that's just a special thanks. <laughs> maybe it's uh, in some more meaningful capacity. Is there one game out there that you'd just love to have been involved with in some way? Oh, God, that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's almost like, what is your favorite game but that you wanted to create it yourself? 
Yeah, and there is that big difference because sometimes people just want to enjoy the thing as opposed to have been involved in that that thing. So, I, I might be biased in this, but I probably would say Journey. Oh yeah, okay. No, that's very fantastic game and awesome choice. Yeah, and I mean it's just it's cinematic experience that you're getting out of it that I just love how fluid the, the experience of the flow is and i think that's exactly what uh the creator was going after for so and they nailed it in every way no that's a fantastic yes. and so you know how have they handled the multiplayer part sorry <laughs> no, no, no 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 please no go on no no it's just how multi how they handled the multiplayer part because like i come from very multiplayer heavy gameplay uh world where it's free to play and I've seen things where people can do to each other what, what happens. Like if you allow the freedom for people to do things, things will happen, you know, like, <laughs> and there's always like, I've been a GM where I had to ban people for cursing too much, you know, stuff like that. All and, right. But yeah, then the approach that game took was basically, you wouldn't know who you're benching into, but once you start recognizing each other, then you can actually only help each other. There's no collision. It's like, all the, mood, the, the thought and experience that went into designing the multiplayer experience for the game kind of teaches me what I should be thinking of, what the multiplayer experience should be in general of how do we make it best for the game design system so that people would be actually cooperative, not competitive all the time. Yeah, no, I really like that. And I'm sure that given yeah, you are obviously working on various multiplayer-based titles, I'm sure that serves as a constant inspiration, a constant thought in the back of the mind. So, I mean, Journey is an incredible game and it's a fantastic choice and uh, he's hoping you find a way somehow at some point to get yourself involved with uh, some of that team in the future. I'm yeah, sure that'd be a massive thrill. Yeah, it, it would be, definitely. So if we were looking to, if uh, people listening today were looking to learn a little bit more about Cartrider or yourself, uh, where would they be best to go? Oh, uh, CartriderDrift.com is i mean and it's a full name of the game.com so <laughs> it should be the easiest yeah. to remember Excellent. yeah and we are actually going to in a beta uh june 3rd uh on uh pacific time so we're starting up our beta really soon and you can you can sign up by going to our site and cartwriterdrip.com and join in on the beta that's going to last for about a week and i think it's going to be really fun and see if you can get those 360, 720s and all those sort of drifts going that we were talking about before. The, the challenge has been laid down, so see if you can find a way. Yeah, and I mean, I, the real challenge is while doing it, not, not hitting a wall. That's going to be the more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, Diaz, thank you very, very much for coming aboard the show today and sharing your experiences, your story, and, and a lot about uh, Cartwright Drift as well. It is a game that uh, since it's popped up on my, my radar, I've been keeping a very, very close eye on because I'm quite excited to see how it all plays out. So thank you very, very much for sharing so much today. And uh, I can only wish you the very best with everything going forward. Thank you very much for having me. This was an awesome experience. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been DS's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.